Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You need a plan for Death Valley. And Death Valley was the silence that you get once the proposal is in the organization and how are you going to deal with that? Somebody who's undecided and goes into a debate can be persuaded one way or the other. But if you've already decided and you see a debate, you're going to walk away from that debate very likely convinced that your candidate was the best choice. and You may feel even stronger about that regardless of how the debate went. And so you're going to have Partisans on both sides saying, well, clearly this was this debate showed that my candidate was the best and clearly. And that's the sign of an implementation mindset. I used to be employed at British Telecom 30 years ago. Show me eight. I'm going to forget that it was British Telegraph. So Ryan, it was really interesting the other day. I was with a client and I'm a bit old fashioned because I I still carry around this notepad, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm showing this to everybody, assuming that they can see this on YouTube because we're now on YouTube, everybody. Go to YouTube, the Intuitive Customer Podcast, and you can basically see I draw draw lots of stuff. I think think we're overselling the YouTube, Colin. I just saw (laughs) the notepad that you flashed and your your doodles on there. I got to tell you people, if you're just listening to audio and you're thinking about pausing and going over to YouTube for that. It was well worth it, mate, because some some of those pictures are going to, it's a bit like a Banksy. They're going to be well worth lots of money in in the future. So, So for those who missed it, there was a series of boxes and arrows that Colin drew. Spider web pattern, maybe. Yeah, spider web patterns, yeah. It does help crystallize a lot when you can kind of draw a diagram. It does. Together, so. It does. And I and I think it makes it personal. I Rather than just try to explain something, it's the old thing about a picture speaks a thousand words. So I tend to, if I'm talking about a model or something, I tend to just draw it out in front of the client and explain it, basically. And one of the really interesting things, and this ties into the show today, One of the things I've found is that when a client then picks up the pen Mm -hmm. and starts adding to your drawing, Mm. yeah, or asking questions or adding a thought, that really is, for me, becomes a bit of a turning point to show that they are truly engaged and thinking about it. And this goes to Jason Bradley, who's written in to uh, and given us a pickle. And his pickle is, how do I decode when a customer has mentally decided to buy? Yeah. So how does he decode when a customer has mentally decided to buy? And if you want to ask Ryan and I a question, uh, a pickle, if you've got a pickle that you what you want us to deliberate on, then just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. We'll put the stuff in the show notes. When I read that, I thought, yeah, that for me is one of the signs. 
that they are adding to the model, they're adding to the thought. I even now purposely, when i am got my piece of paper, I now purposely put the pen towards their side where they're sitting to encourage them to do it because I think it gets their thought process going, doesn't it? You'll hear various kind of verbal or physical tells that people will sometimes give out. Like I've heard of consultants who say that when they're in a sales process and they hear the potential customer switch from talking about you and what you do to we and what we will do, that that's kind of an indication that they've, they've made that mental switch to being kind of committed to this process. So I know we're going to talk some theory in a moment behind this, but there's a couple of other things that I think, going back to Jason's pickle, how do you tell when a customer's mentally decided to buy? When they start asking, I find when they start asking you much more detailed questions. Yeah. So rather than just talking top level, you know, things like, well, how would we implement that? Or when would you we expect delivery? Or what's the payment terms going to be? Or who's going to do this now? How would we work this and that together? It's like they've made that mental choice and are already in that environment where they're trying to then grapple with the problems that that new environment. So I've, I've already decided that I'm buying this, yeah. but I'm now grappling with that problem of, well, how do we link that together and link that together? And how do I start? Another common one for me is, well, how do I link the brand together? How do we get other people engaged with this? So they've recognized that they've mentally made that jump but other people in the organization haven't. And they've even gone into going, yeah, well, I'm going to have a problem with selling it to this person over here. Right. But, you know, that person over there is going to be helping be an advantage. So how do we start positioning this? So I know that you said that we were going to get into the theory um, in a little bit, but you just explained the whole theory that I wanted to bring up in talking uh, about go. this pickle. A very quick podcast then today, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you you explained it very clearly, but without using the complicated psychology terms that ah. I get paid big bucks for introducing. <laughs> so I'm going to make it less clear now. And you made it clear, and then make it less clear, and then you can go right. around at the end if you want and, and yep. try to clear it back up. That's it. Do your professor bit and make it less clear. I'm sure your students love that. I need to get a pipe now that we're on YouTube. <laughs> I, need to, I, need, I need to hold a pipe. Yeah. Get a cardigan of, with some suede patches on the elbows. One of those Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, ones. exactly. Exactly. Uh, like and what are those hats pipe. that Sherlock Holmes No, I'm not, I'm not a detective. I'm a professor. <laughs> You're getting your stereotypes all wrong. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, what you just described is something that some psychologists, a model that psychologists have developed um, over the decades. That's known as the the Rubicon model, which I complain a lot about how poorly psychologists name their theories. I actually think this is a pretty clever name. I, I give them full credit for that. The Rubicon, if you remember your Roman history, is a, a river in Italy under the Roman Republic laws. They had all of these very powerful generals in various parts of the, the Roman Empire. 
And the rule was, if you were one of these very powerful generals, you could come to Rome whenever you needed to, but your army had to stay north of the Rubicon. So if you Ah, brought your army with you, that was seen as an act of rebellion. You were committing treason. You could be put to death. And so very famously, Julius Caesar, when he went to seize control of the Roman Republic and turn it into an empire, he crossed the Rubicon. And that was like the point of no return. As soon as he brought his army across that river, he had now committed treason and they were fully committed. I know you love it when I diverge into history, Colin, on here. This is fascinating stuff. Thank you. I love this stuff. So this is what they named that that psychological model after. They said that psychologically, if we are making a decision, we're trying to debate, we're trying to deliberate, we're trying to think about what the what's going on here. And then and then at some point we commit to a decision. And they said that's like crossing the Rubicon. And what happens right. is when we mentally commit to a decision, we don't have to have actually like signed a contract or have like verbally committed anything. It's a switch in, in mindset. And once we've done that, our perspective changes completely. And we, we now think about things very differently. So the two major, they call them action phases, two major action phases before and after the, this Rubicon are there's a, a deliberative mindset. That's before we've made, we've committed to a decision and then the implementation mindset. That's what happened afterwards. So going back to what you were saying, Colin, you were saying that you knew that your clients had committed when they started asking implementation questions. Like, yep. how are we going to implement this? Like, who's going to be involved? What's the next step in the process? Right? They get to like tactical stuff. Like, how much is it going to cost? A lot of these are implementation. It's a sign that they've already decided. And then now they want to get to it. They want to really start figuring out the the nuts and bolts of it. Anything you want to make clear again after I've uncleared it up? No. So the bit I was thinking of is whilst we're talking here for Jason's pickle, which is, you know, how does he know when a customer's mentally decided? I guess the reality is that's true in a lot of the decisions that we make. I was just thinking politics, you know, which way am I going to vote? Yes. Yeah. You know, you may hear a debate, you may hear something where somebody said something where you actually go, or maybe it's just a debate about something actually, where you go, yeah, I think this now, and you've crossed that Rubicon. Yeah. I, I mean, so yes, the, the this is not a psychological theory that was designed around the sales process. This is a general purpose theory that this describes most decisions. So the politics one is a very interesting one. So I, I've got a list here of, of what previous research has found. Before you get onto that, can yeah, I just tell ahead, you that I think my wife has got a ferry that she takes back and forth across the Rubicon because she seems to change her mind quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that can happen too. Like these mindsets are powerful, yeah. but they're not perfectly constricting right it's it's a so shift it's not like one way yeah exactly there's no like ratcheting where we now we've made it it's like a permanent we've all had those situations where like your wife where you you know you're you've made a decision you're committing to it and then you get cold feet and you step back or you, yeah. you like reconsider you're not sure so yeah think about these in terms of mindsets of cognitive procedures right and and we're going to activate one or we're going to activate the other it's usually the case that, that that crossing the Rubicon like creates momentum. Yeah. And it's a signal that we've made a decision. But most decisions can be 
undone and reevaluated. So it's a very good point, and I'm glad you raised it. I think the other thing I would say is that it's interesting, isn't it, that when you listen to somebody make a point, I found that the last person that was speaking, I won't say I tend to, but that's a good point. I never really thought about it. That. You go, all right. So, and that sort of goes into Jason's piece because if we're pitching against two or three other organizations, I will always want to go last because I feel that I want to give them the last message. Now, again, internally, we, we debate it. I, I don't think going first is ever a good idea. But if given a choice, I would always say I'd rather go last. Yeah. So I guess the interesting bit there is, and maybe this comes into recency. Does this come into recency bias, which is you remember the thing that you that you were last speaking to? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a number of things that could play into that. Um, recency bias is certainly one of them. So this is a memory effect that says that you know you tend to remember the last bit of information that went into long-term memory. So I think that plays into it. I think we could also tell a reference point story where we're now being evaluated. If you're the first one to present, a lot of times there's nothing to compare you to. Whereas if you're the last one to present, now you can like kind of strategically compete against those other reference points to try to be. But I do think there's a Rubicon model story here as well, which is that if you are the company that's hiring, if you're the client, and you know that you're going to be getting pitches from three or four different companies, then for the first few, you are going to try to keep yourself in that deliberative mindset. You're going to try to deliberately keep an open mind so that you can be like making this decision. If you know it's the last one that you're seeing, now you may be in more of a position to start to switch over to that implementation mindset. You, you, there's not that pressure to keep your mind open. Right. The danger is if the presentation that went right before you is really really knock their socks off, they may already be in an implementation mindset. By well, the they've time. already, yeah. And there are disadvantages, not least of which is that everybody's overrun and then now you've only yeah. got 20 minutes to present and everybody <laughs> else had 45 minutes and all, all those, those other wonderful things. things. So yeah, just practicalities of things sometimes. So let me, let me go back to um, the point you raised about political decision-making, which I think yeah, is a, sure. a good one. So one of the differences that's been found is when people are in a deliberative mindset before they've made a decision, they're much more open-minded. And then once you've made a decision, one of the things that people tend to do is they tend to get defensive around their decisions. So once you've committed to something, those cognitive gears switch over and now you don't you don't want more options. You don't, you don't want to like know what's best. You want to feel confident that you made the right choice. And so we get very defensive about that kind of thing. You see this a lot in politics where Somebody who's undecided and goes into a debate can be persuaded one way or the other. But if you've already decided and you see a debate, you're going to walk away from that debate very likely convinced that your candidate is the best choice. And you may feel even stronger about that regardless of how the debate went. And so you're going to have partisans on both sides saying, well, clearly this was this debate showed that my candidate was the best. And clearly... And that's the sign of an implementation mindset. You've already decided, and now you want to be confident about that. You want to be kind of closed-minded and focused. So by definition, because I was thinking, as you were speaking then, I was thinking, yeah, that's confirmation bias, yes. isn't it? So implementation mindset makes you much more prone bias. to confirmation bias. In fact, there, there was a study that they did where they asked people to list pros and cons around some 
decision options. And they took people that were either still considering what to do or people who had already decided what to do. And if you were in this deliberation phase, you listed about equal numbers of pros and cons. If you're in an implementation phase, you'd already made the decision. People listed five times as many pros as cons. Ryan, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? Uh, I saw an old Vincent Price movie called House of the Long Shadows when I was a kid, and it kept me awake for days. And if you want to be kept awake for days, the one that scared me the most was the Intuitive Customer podcast that's now available on YouTube. It's really scary. I I want to change my answer. That's actually the scariest thing I've seen too. (laughs) Absolutely. So if you are interested in getting scared and watching Ryan and I attempt to do a podcast on YouTube, then just search for the Intuitive Customer podcast on YouTube and subscribe, won't you? We look forward to seeing you there. That's an interesting bit, isn't it? Because if you go back to Jason's point, and he's talking about this from a sales perspective, so how do I decode when a customer mentally decided to buy? I guess if you were to ask the customer to list the pros and cons of one solution over another, if they listed more things from your perspective then that would give you an indication that they've crossed the Rubicon. Yeah. I mean, there's some social pressure aspects there too. A lot of people might be too polite to list top cons. But one of the signs that people have like convinced themselves is that they will start to sell themselves on the solution, right? So if you see them arguing your side, that's often a sign that they've, they've switched over and are now in this kind of defensive mode. If there are negative things to sell or to that have to be disclosed about your offering. Sometimes if pe- if you can get people into that implementation mindset where they've already made the decision, then when you reveal that negative information, sometimes people will be more inclined to argue their own way out of it because they've already decided. Yeah, no, good point, good point. So other differences that have been found in the research, people who are in a deliberative mode are more interested in what's called desirability information. So like what what makes an option attractive or not attractive. Whereas once they've already made the decision, they're more interested in in what's called feasibility information. What do we need to make this thing happen? What do we need to make this thing be implemented? People respond better to more abstract information when they're in a deliberative mode. They kind of are thinking more higher order, thinking about how things fit together. Um, And then they respond to more concrete information in implementation modes. That's where I was saying they're asking more detailed questions. Yeah, exactly. So the research backs that up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, this this gives you some insight into the sales process as well. So sure. there will definitely be exceptions to this. Expertise is maybe one boundary condition on this. But for a lot of stuff, if you if you go in with the hard numbers, in many cases, people are not cognitively prepared for that, right? And so if you talk to them instead about the higher order goals, like, this is what this thing can do for you. These are the benefits it'll offer. And then once we get down to implementation, after they've made the decision, then you can get into the details. But I guess it's also then about clearly about the benefits that are beneficial to that per. And I'm trying to be careful here with my words. The benefits to the person that you are talking to. So I could be going in and talking to a decision maker who is worried about 
the type of project team that you're putting on this and how it's going to be received and how they're going to be measured, et cetera, et cetera. Or I could be talking to the finance person who's going to be worried about the numbers that underpin it. So the benefits to get them, each of those people to cross the Rubicon, I'm having to, my argument uh, to the decision maker is going to be different to my argument to the finance person. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So the benefits need to be still relevant to whoever you're talking to. Um, and they can be abstract, but but again, they can't be like world peace level abstract. They still need to be um, yeah, sure. relevant to those specific decision makers, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some more, some more things that the research has found. Preference for action. So if you if you get somebody on the other side of the table who says, "All right, well, what's the next step?" That's a pretty good sign, right? That they've switched over from deliberation to implementation. And then uh, the last one I've got here on my list is assessment of risks. So people who are in an implementation mindset have more. It says uh, the the research says they're more prone to a sense of invulnerability. So in other words, it's like, let's just do this thing. Let's let's not worry about the risks or alternatively, the controllability of the risks. So like, yeah, yeah, I understand that it's risky out there, but we can handle it. We can control it. Those things are much more likely once people have already made the decision. They tend to be much more risk averse when we're still in a deliberation mode. But again, it, it goes back to this idea that once we've made a decision, there's psychological pressure for us to feel like we've made the right decision. And so therefore, we we tend to, to become defensive around it. Yeah, no, a good list. So before the call, before this podcast, I wrote down some of the things that I've noticed. So let's try and maybe split those into those two areas. So I find it interesting. So typically what happens, we have a call with a client and they're obviously in that investigation mode. Yeah. And then the, the other interesting bit is, who do they start inviting on the call? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And what level of person are they inviting on to the call? So I guess if they're in that implementation mode, they're going to be inviting some, let me say, lower level people that are actually going to be in in charge of the implementation. And what you typically find is the calls just get bigger because there's so many more people on the call because by definition, therefore, we start to involve more people as well because you're you're now trying to match up the two implementation teams as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could see where occasionally somebody higher in the organization might be invited to those calls, but ideally, if they've already made their decision, it'll still be from an implementation standpoint. So I need to get finance involved in this call, Yes, but it would be less around because they've got to check out the numbers as opposed to they got to find out a way, figure out a way to pay for this. They're also starting, in some cases, trying to get one step ahead or that they've seen, I don't know, and again, this is uh, I'm focusing this around our work because obviously it's the stuff we know, but maybe something's going on with the brand and there's another project going on somewhere else and they think it's going to impinge upon that. So we better involve somebody from the brand to talk about it as, as well. Another one that made me think of, and this is this is something that I do personally, so this is maybe more consumer orientated. But if I'm buying particularly a bit of technology or a TV or something like that, I end up knowing more about the bloody product than the salesperson, which to me is an indication that I've already decided which bloody one to buy. 
right? You know, I, I know the difference. And typically this happens with televisions because you go into, you know, the Best Buys and everything else and they, they don't know enough about the difference, nuances with some of the products. You end up knowing more about the bloody product than they do, which is I've already made the decision. I, so the interesting bit there is I've already made the decision on what television to buy in the case of a TV. It's just a question of where am I going to buy it? Which is very much an implementation question. Yes, yeah. that's right. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's also, there's also the cases that that example reminded me where sometimes there's a shift in the information that people want away from convincing me to now what information can I get from you so that I can convince others, right? So, oh, yeah. No, like, absolutely. Okay, how can I convince my VP to get on board with this? Or how can yeah, I convince no, my I'm, wife to get on board with this? We spend a lot of time once, and typically what happens with us is that we have a someone who's really interested and they're on board, but they also then know that they've got to sell it internally. And therefore it's, well, can you help me sell it basically? Or can you give me the data that I need because I know what this person's going to be driven by, so I need to do that. It made me also think as we were talking about this, because we've come at this, I've come at this mentally from a, sort of face-to-face perspective, but it made me think of from a digital perspective, you'd probably be able to pick up the patterns of either going for the same reasons, you know, going down into more detail, you'd probably be able to pick up the customer journeys of implementation type things about deliveries and maybe even what the warranty covers or those types of things. And maybe even the amount of times that the same customer has gone back to your site would be an indication that they are yeah. uh, that they've made the decision to buy. Yeah, especially if you can figure out where on their on your site they've been, right? Like how much into the details are they they digging in? You know, are they they looking more at the information on yeah on how it's implemented and all that kind of stuff as opposed to the high level benefits information. Uh, earlier on in the webpage. I used to run when I was, I used to be, uh, as you're aware, employed at British Telecom years and years ago, 30 years ago. Now. Show me age. I'm going to forget that it was British Telegraph. They're <laughs> <laughs> not that long. <laughs> yeah, no, not that long ago. There was a guy there that did sales training for us. Okay. And he used to talk about Death Valley which I always thought was an interesting concept. And, and, and maybe, Jason, this would be useful to you as well. And this is when you're selling large, I won't say systems, but large projects. And basically what Death Valley is, is when you've put your proposal in and you then can't talk to the customer. Yeah. Okay. So you've had all of those interesting conversations. You've had the 57 million people on the call. You've got the people that are really pro it. You've got some that are anti it. You know, you've gone through the Rubicon. Some different. Some people are on one side of the shore. Some people are on the other side of the yeah. shore. You put the proposal in and now the organization is debating it. One of the things that this guy, I always remember his name actually, Dermot Bradley, he said that you need a plan for Death Valley. And Death Valley was the silence that you get once the proposal is in the organization and how are you going to deal with that? And one of the things that he talked about doing was coming up with a plan to contact the customer 
not necessarily about the proposal, but about adjacent type mm-hmm. things to keep your name and thought and name and proposal in the customer's mind rather than here's the proposal we'll talk to you in two months time when we've made that choice because it's interesting isn't it it's again it's that who do you speak to last so even if you're dropping them a message going hey did you see the football at the weekend and uh what do you think about this or whatever else it's keeping your name and your thoughts in their minds basically Anyway, nothing to do with Jason's thing, but I thought I thought I'd mention it. Seems like a good bit of sales advice, though. Well, I think it's just making it personal, and it's just making it just keeping you top of mind. Basically, I'm a great believer that you've got to be in the right place at the right time, and if you're in the right place at the right time, then that deals with a lot. Any further advice to young? young Jason? How does he mentally decide it's crossing the Rubicon? Look for the evidence of changes in mindset, changes in perspective. Do they Are they asking different questions? Are they seeking out different information? Are they talking about things in a different way, more abstract, more concrete? All those kinds of things can be these subtle signals that show that they have changed the way they're thinking about this, that they've already made their decision. You see, and this is why I love doing this podcast, mate, because I come into this going, well, here are all the practical things. And then you put a framework around it and going, well, that's exactly what you're talking about. Here's the research and this goes to show deliberative and implementation and yeah. So there's a bit of Roman history to to sweeten the pot. To top it off. Why not? Who who doesn't love a piece of Roman history? Next time we'll talk about segmentation and Caligula. Oh, that'd be interesting. That's a bit of a reach, but there you go. We hope that's been of use. If we can ask you one favour, and that would be just if you can spend a bit of time just doing a quick review for us, that would be really great. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that really helps us get up the algorithms and get out to more and more people. And Ryan and I just love hearing about how we're doing. So if you could do a review on whatever platform you're on, that would be wonderful. Thanks very much. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.